0: Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we look at a new AZPM original podcast that examines drought in the Southwest and what people are doing to mitigate it. Arizona is in an historic drought. A study in the journal Nature Climate Change claims that the years since 2000 mark the area's driest 22-year stretch since at least the year 800 CE. For history buffs, that's the same year that Charlemagne was crowned Emperor of the West by Pope Leo III. And our state is not alone. The entire southwestern region of North America is in the grips of a mega drought. As conditions dry out, Arizona Public Media is launching a new podcast called Tap. It tells the stories of people affected by the drought and how they're adapting to a future with less water. The podcast is reported and produced by AZPM's Megan Myskowski, who joins us now in the studio. So, Megan, tell us a little bit about this new podcast you're hosting.
1: Yes, so like you said, it is about uh, drought in the Southwest and Southern Arizona and how people are living with those changes. But not only that, it's also about what people are doing to make changes and to uh, make things more sustainable in this region going forward.
0: You really got out for this, and you didn't just talk to water officials. You talked to our neighbors, uh, the, the people who live with us here in southern Arizona.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I had the chance, for example, to go visit somebody's yard when I was learning about um, what kind of changes people have made over the years here in Tucson to move away from lawns and and make their yards more uh to make their yards look more like desert yards
0: and more water friendly as a result absolutely so what are some of the biggest lessons that can be learned about how we need to change our thoughts and views on water? Is it all just about zero our lawns or our yards?
1: I don't think so. I mean I think what I got out of this was that um there's a lot of changes on all levels that are going to need to happen. So that means there's going to be, you know, big governmental changes and big changes to the way that we share our water. But then also, you know, those smaller things like you're saying, you know, we're going to find ways to potentially water our, our yards in more efficient ways or use the water in our taps more efficient ways. Think about how our, our growth happens in different ways. Our population growth happens.
0: You didn't just stay within the the confines of Tucson or Pima County. You were all over southern Arizona and even into Mexico for this.
1: Well, I haven't been to Mexico yet, but I did go out to Yuma to report for this. I've been um, around Cochise County. I uh, went down to San Javier, so not too far, and I will be going to uh, El Paso and then Uh, over the border to Mexico as well to report a story.
0: And that, for people who will be listening, that'll be one of the last episodes uh, of the podcast. since that one's still going through. So how did you come up with the idea to do this podcast?
1: So drought is probably one of the biggest stories in the news. And it has been for a minute. And it's going to be one of the biggest stories in the news. And I'm a business and economics reporter, and it certainly touches my beat as much as it touches anybody else in the newsroom's beat. So I kind of wanted to see, you know, how does this topic that everyone's talking about, how does it affect the things that I would normally report in the economics realm? How does it affect people's wallets? How does it affect development? How does it affect housing?
0: You mentioned one of the places that you traveled for this podcast was Yuma. Lots of agriculture there, very different desert than we're used to here. It's not the Sonoran Desert anymore. What was the story you were looking at in Yuma?
1: I think a lot of people probably associate Yuma with leafy greens, and it's a big agriculture center. Um, And that's what I wanted to look into because I think that—I think if you're kind of on the outside of that— It's easy to look and say, what are we doing with all that water over there? You know, it's easy to kind of make a quick judgment call on it. And I think that people who, um, the people out there, the people working in agriculture out there, and also the researchers that work with them, I think they have a lot to say about how it's it's a little more complicated than that. And maybe there are some fixes to make, but also, you know, here's kind of the full picture of, well, why do we, you know, (laughs) a farm, why do we produce most of the country's winter lettuce here in the desert. You know, if you eat a salad in the winter, it probably came from the desert. Why is that? And for me, that was really interesting to kind of, you know, actually hear from the source and see what people are doing out there.
0: And I know you're still reporting some of the last episodes of this, but as you mentioned also, you're about to be heading to Texas Uh, El Paso specifically and then across the border what are some of the cross border issues when it comes to water because I guess water doesn't respect the line in the sand
1: yeah water doesn't respect borders exactly and so uh, I'm working with another reporter out in Texas uh, to look into how that water is shared over the border how it's different there's not really one way that that issue is approached all the way across the border and it's it's kind of a patchwork
0: I don't want to make any of the folks you talk to upset but you've spent a lot of time out on the road meeting a lot of people reporting a lot of things that will go into this podcast what's your favorite story
1: you know maybe it's just top of mind for me right now because I was just working on it but uh, for one of the stories like I said I went and visited someone's yard and I actually ended up learning a lot about what's available in Tucson, you know, the kinds of programs that are available. One thing that I thought was really interesting to learn about was just, you know, what Tucson looked like a couple generations back and kind of, you know, different people in Tucson's relationships with the river and the water here and how, you know, some of the older folks in town remember there being flowing water downtown. And now that's starting to come back and, you know, what that actually means to people who have been here for a long time. I think for me, that was a really interesting uh, story to touch on. And that came up with a few different people.
0: Let's give people a a little bit of a tease uh, for what will be the second episode of Tapped, where you go back and look at the history of water in this area. And as you mentioned, there are people who live in Tucson who still do remember some water flowing in the rivers here in the Tucson area, but you go way back in history. You go out onto the San Javier, part of the the, the Otham reservation, and talk with them. What'd you learn?
1: Yeah, so actually the Thanh and their ancestors, the Hohokam, have uh, some of the most Uh, Interesting history with this across the continent Um, and the infrastructure that they had here to move water and to use it as efficiently as possible is just remarkable to learn about. So that's something that I went and talked about. And, And we also talked about ways that people are looking back at some of those practices and seeing what can still be incorporated today that can, you know, ease up our pressure on the water here. And that episode, people can actually listen to on Monday. That will drop along with the first episode on Monday.
0: Exactly. The first two episodes drop on Monday or become available. Um, this, If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Megan Myskowski here at Arizona Public Media, the reporter and producer of our new podcast, Tapped. Season one starts becoming available on Monday on our website or Wherever you get your podcasts, Megan, thanks for spending some time with us.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me.
0: You're listening to The Buzz. After the break, we'll hear the first episode of Tapped, so stay with us. Welcome back to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we examine the issues of drought through our new podcast, Tapped. Here's the first episode.
1: Up a flight of concrete stairs in Bisbee, with a view of grassy hills dotted with houses, sits a reservoir. (laughs) This this is not even moving around, that's the hard part. The water is dark, and there's a giant yellow pipe that dips into it like a straw.
0: We are up at the top of the reservoir for old Bisbee. This is what feeds our gravity-fed fire suppression system.
1: Logan Dodd from the city's public works department and a few others walked up here with me. He says the problems in this reservoir eventually work their way down to the fire trucks and hydrants.
0: As you can see, it's exposed to elements, so dirt, debris, critters
2: go into there. There's a fish habitat in there right now.
1: But that's not intentional. Fish get here from people dumping old pets. The people I talk to won't admit to doing it themselves, but high schoolers have been sneaking in after hours to swim and hang out for generations. And this is where the water used to fight fires in Bisbee comes from. A school of orange fish swims towards me and Jim Richardson, the fire chief.
2: I don't know if they're goldfish or they're koi fish, but either way, they'll probably get big.
1: Sometimes a firefighter finds one in the truck when they pump the water through.
2: Every year we're supposed to open and flow our our hydrants to get out the sediment and stuff like that, but. The community complains so much about the smell of, of of the water that comes out of the hydrants.
1: Only a few things are so basic that life can't exist without them, and water is one. We can't grow food or raise livestock without it, and sustained drought leads to loss of trees and plants and the wildlife that rely on them. Lack of water promotes destructive wildfires, causing irreversible damage to the environment and the places we call home. It also wreaks havoc on our economy, stymieing business growth and the development states like Arizona count on. And perhaps worst of all, competition for this limited resource divides us. The damage of a drought can be devastating, but it doesn't have to be. Solutions are possible and, in some places, already in the works. I'm Megan Myskofsky, and this is Tapped, a podcast where we tell the stories of people living with the cost of drought in the Southwest, and what we can do to mitigate it. On this episode, the city of Bisbee in southern Arizona still relies on a lot of things that were built almost 100 years ago, as part of the New Deal. That includes the water system it uses to put out fires, which needs major updates. So, how does a small western town make that happen? And what are the risks if the project doesn't come through?
2: I'm uh, Carl V. Nelson. I'm going to uh, give an interview, as you might say, of my life in Bisbee.
1: Carl Nelson gave this interview to the Bisbee Council on the Arts and Humanities in 1979.
2: I came to Bisbee about the middle of September, 1903.
1: His father was sent by a St. Louis company to sell tools and he brought his family along.
2: And my mother didn't like it at first and uh, She cried for near the first week, but she finally became accustomed to the place and liked it a whole lot better. Of course, one thing, she didn't like the water systems they had here, which really they had no system, just a well.
1: At that time, there wasn't a water company in town. So families like Nelson's, who lived lower in the canyon, had wells. But those up on the hills had to make other arrangements.
2: This water was delivered by burros carrying two large sacks, bags, one on either side.
1: Bisbee used to be a major player in mining. And the biggest game in town was the Copper Queen. Mining companies also dug wells in the area. And the Copper Queen had one in nearby Naco. They needed a lot of water. Copper smelting takes a lot. The city grew and the mines, residents and water deliverers kept pumping. In 1903, the supply in town started to run low. They called it a water famine at the time. But the Copper Queen's supply in NACO was really reliable. And some businessmen bought their well and pipeline, along with a plant in town, and created a company, the Bisbee NACO Water Company, to get water to residents. That company is still the main water provider in town, now called the Arizona Water Company, and the city still gets its water piped in from the same area. A few decades later, the mining companies took a hit with the Great Depression. Production slowed, the population declined, and the infrastructure wasn't kept up. But then Bisbee got a transformation.
0: The Great Depression left millions of able and willing Americans bewildered and jobless. In 1933, the federal government came to the help of local agencies which had fought a courageous but losing fight against the growing need for relief.
1: The Works Progress Administration, or the WPA, funded lots of projects in every corner of the country, from roads to bridges to airports to water.
0: The water resources of thousands of cities and towns have been expanded by the construction of reservoirs and water supply systems. Ensuring an adequate supply of water for the community's needs for many years to come.
1: And Bisbee got the system it has today. The fire department still uses the pipes, pumps, and reservoirs the WPA put in more than 80 years ago. And it doesn't end there. Bisbee still has paved roads, ditches, dams, the copper miner statue, remnants of a public swimming pool, a golf club, a baseball grandstand... Stairways through neighborhoods, sidewalks with USA WPA stamped on the corner, and more. The WPA injected a lot of life back into town. But in the decades since, there hasn't been that same kind of money to maintain some of those projects. And that includes the water system the fire department relies on. downhill from the reservoir in bisbee there's a pump house several town leaders public works employees and the fire chief met me there before we went in a couple of women on a walk stopped to thank exactly. the fire chief
2: yeah well i yeah. we'll hope the winds are picking up later right, yep, right. yeah is, is that going to be problematic they're
1: surrounding or? it now they've
2: okay. got the line lines
1: I was there in mid-April, the morning after the third wildfire of the season, which came early.
2: Still see yeah, smoke coming smoke a little outside. bit. Yeah, yeah, there's still oh, some no. hot spots. It's yeah. starting to warm up, so yeah.
1: Uh... Well, did you have a night, or no. what?
2: <laughs> Not much, had
1: <laughs> a long night. That's is that sure. a big coffee in there, that It
2: is, mug? <laughs> it is a big coffee. <laughs> All
1: right. We went inside the pump house. It's an old, gray building with rust-red trim. It's dark and dusty inside. And the pump is so loud they had to turn it off for us to talk. The system's been unreliable. It didn't cause a problem that night but it's been a problem for some time. Ken Budge is the mayor and knows the system well.
2: I'm a retired firefighter by the way but and also I was working as a plumber but every time you touch anything old it, it just starts to fall apart on you. This is just what happens with an aging structure you know like any plumbing in an old house
1: The longer something like this sits, the worse it gets. Budge says he's seen some fires where the system made the fire department's job a lot harder.
2: An example of a a good failure would have happened to Moon Canyon fire um, or Star Avenue even worse was um, one of the lines ruptured. I have a picture of it split right down the side, shot all of our water up in the air and we had to go back up the canyon and pull a hydrant from, from almost... A full hose length of everything the truck had to get that water back up to the to the fire.
1: And he says it's going to happen again.
2: We're sitting here just, I think, waiting for the next failure. And we don't want to touch anything because when you touch it, it just starts to cascading and get worse and worse and worse.
1: There's the pungent smell of the hydrants when they flush them. And Adrian Borquez with the Public Works Department says leaks are an issue.
2: There's valves throughout the city. Half of them don't work. So, to isolate a leak, sometimes you have to shut half the city down just to get to one leak on one street. Where if the valve would work, you would just shut the one street down, you know?
1: Then there's the fish. We've had catfish in our fire truck strainers.
2: As the hose goes into the, the fire truck from the hydrant, we have a screen, we, and you pull out catfish, pull out sticks,
1: um, rocks. A few years back, the Environmental Protection Agency told them that they'd need to scrap the whole system. Bisbee resident Danielle Bouchave works for a local nonprofit and writes grants for the city as a volunteer. She's worked on projects from infrastructure to housing. She says they came up with a plan to work with the Arizona Water Company to expand their potable water system and build new tanks, lines, and 110 hydrants and that would bring us
3: up to code as far as pressures go. We would have consistent pressures throughout the city, which we do not have currently.
1: She also lives near where the fire happened the night before. The team was able to keep that line, but they were definitely embers coming over into
2: the town side of the highway. And along that edge, there are not enough fire hydrants with enough pressure to be able to fight that, especially if it started to get into our structures, because then you've got big embers that continue and we're cheek to jowl
1: in this town. The plan they have would go a long way, but it still costs money and time. So they applied for a FEMA grant and they're still waiting to hear back.
3: My name is Mark Apel. Um, I live in Bisbee, Arizona, in Old Bisbee, and I've been a resident of Bisbee for 25 years.
1: Apel is a retired University of Arizona researcher, where he worked on water issues. He's now the environmental projects coordinator for Cochise County, and spends a lot of his time on the San Pedro River. He says climate change isn't just making fire season longer and more destructive. It also affects the water supply in town.
3: Those water levels are they change all the time. Uh, we have a well in my neighbor's backyard, very close to this pump house. And that is essentially the water level of the aquifer, the groundwater in that area that is being drawn upon to fill that reservoir. And it changes, you know, it can drop 12 feet over a few months, you know, depending on whether we've had rains or not. And this winter, you know, the water levels are pretty low in the aquifer right now down there. I can look right down at my neighbor's well and see where the water is. That water supply is somewhat tenuous.
1: The system run by the Arizona Water Company draws water from a different source, the upper San Pedro Basin. And that source is more reliable.
3: I think having that redundancy in the system will really be great for the city and give us a little more breathing room in terms of attacking and, or preventing wildfires.
1: If you live in a fire-prone area, you know putting one out isn't all about hosing it down. Firefighters clear brush. They use fire retardant. They also work on preventing fire, and that usually takes some help from homeowners in the area. Apel lives in what's called a wildland-urban interface.
3: I have a house that literally is, in my backyard, is wildlands. I I have neighbors to either side of me, but right behind me are the hills and the grasslands and the oak trees directly in my backyard. And so the threat of wildfire is really high, and damage to residences is very high,
1: The city works with people in Apel's part of town to clear brush and make updates that would help prevent a fire from spreading through it.
3: There's quite a bit of responsibility that should be taken by homeowners to make sure that the uh, fire department's not taking care of fires due to neglect around somebody's house, like, you know, storing pallets or, you know, having firewood placed up against the house.
1: But water is still a big part of the equation.
3: It's hugely important. If we didn't have water, we'd be seeing a lot of damage in Bisbee due to wildfires or residential fires. But thanks to our our stellar fire department and Arizona water, we, we do have a supply of water.
1: He's talking about the pump house and the reservoir we visited earlier.
3: And right now, that is the only source of fire suppression water in our neighborhood up there.
1: So how does a small town get a federal grant for a project like this?
3: There's a lot of that money out there, but many rural communities throughout the West aren't really equipped to apply for those grants. They don't have grant writers. They don't have the administration to oversee the grants and the finances of the grant.
1: This grant application was a lift in itself and was led by Danielle Bouchevet, who you'll remember we met at the Pump House. And like I said, she's a volunteer, which is what a lot of small towns rely on when they can't afford much staff.
3: We're really lucky to have somebody like Danielle. Uh, to help uh, help our city but there's not somebody like her in every town and or people like her who have that training and and have that experience with uh, applying for grants.
1: And if they do get the grant the project could still be messy. Apel says in an old town like Bisbee there's probably things underground that they won't be expecting.
3: When we got a grant from USDA to put in a new sewage system You know, they were digging up old redwood boxes that were serving as sewer lines from the early days that were still supposedly conveying sewage. Those all got replaced with, you know, new pipes. So I imagine that that's what's going to happen when they start to dig into the water delivery system.
1: But it will help secure the town as wildfire becomes a greater threat to Bisbee.
3: When it's wildfire and you have the hills burning above you and you want to be sure that the fire department has all the resources that they need to be able to prevent that fire from coming down into town or to be able to attack it once it's anywhere near any of the residential structures, having a system in place that gives them ample supply to attack that fire is hugely important and to protect our homes is is huge.
1: They need the grant to fix the problem. Otherwise, Bisbee's stuck with a system that gets worse by the day. They expect to hear about the grant and their future sometime in the fall. On the next episode, for centuries, the Huhugam and then the Atham created systems to get water where they needed it while still accounting for desert scarcity. And it gets hot here. Uh, you know, you have to be smart about living in the desert, because otherwise you aren't, you're not gonna survive. Those systems took serious hits as white settlers arrived and built Tucson. Now, members of the Tehono'a'odham Nation are reincorporating traditional knowledge and land management approaches around water, and they're seeing results. This episode of Tapped was reported, written, and hosted by me, Megan Mystofsky. Duncan Moon is our editor. Christopher Conover is our news director at AZPM. Jim Blackwood and Zach Ziegler are our production engineers. And JT Thorpe is our fact checker. The music you're listening to is by Michael Greenwald. Visit our website at azpm.org tapped for pictures, links, and more.
0: That was episode one of AZPM's new podcast, Tapped. Episode one and two become available on Monday. To find it, visit our website or search for Tapped wherever you get your podcast. And that's the buzz for this week. Next week on The Buzz, we'll stay on the topic of water, taking a long look at how the state will spend $1.2 billion to not only conserve water, but find new resources. You can find all of our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer, Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.